Did you know that the majority of people rarely or never say, I don't know, all year long? If you're a listener out there hearing that and thinking to yourself, I don't know that that's a true statement, the majority? Well, either you're right or you're in the minority who do say you don't know. But if you're thinking, you said it, Crystal, everybody's an expert. Well, I could be wrong, but there's a bit of a chance that you, listener, could be one of the know-it-alls of this world. You may be that person or you may not, but I know you're not as curious as the first listener. I still love you, though. I hope you've learned your lesson when it comes to believing me. That is rarely a prudent path to travel. But perhaps you disagree. If you're a listener out there thinking, the majority of people do not never say they don't know. That's stupid. You're stupid. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. My friend, you are almost certainly that person who never says I don't know. Also, geez, take a chill pill, bro. Don't confound and confuse not knowing with stupidity and weakness. It is those who know it all who are most vulnerable because since they fail to look into things, they are the ones who never saw it coming. When the divine hand of God descends from the sky and smacks them upside their head, as all gods are known and prone to do from time to time, if they don't gouge out your eyeballs. If you know everything already, you don't learn, and you don't change, and you don't grow. If your goal is stagnation and being stuck and not knowing the true nature of things as they are, do not ever or often say, I don't know. You will succeed in your self-defeat. I guarantee it. Knowledge comes from humility and curiosity combined, and wisdom is knowledge's judicious application. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. They say that nature abhors a vacuum, but I don't know about nature. I freely admit physics was not a course that I took. But I do know people. Hell, I used to be one of them before I became a morgiborg. But because I used to be a person, I know people, and what I know is that people abhor a vacuum. People hate uncertainty. People spend their entire lives avoiding uncertainty and the subsequent unpleasant surprises that a lack of awareness may potentially bring. And since fear is a much more innate and primal emotion and driver than the rare and subtle quality of humility and the quality of curiosity, which is usually lost after childhood in most people. And then combine that with the fact that we have a survival instinct that makes us abhor uncertainty. Because how can you feel confident about your safety and survival in an environment that is unfamiliar, surrounded by people you don't know, in a situation you don't understand why or how or what is going on, and thus the entire enterprise of humanity has really been focused on understanding the environment, controlling the environment, and dominating the environment so we don't get caught off guard and we know how to handle appropriately and effectively various threats to our safety and survival. So let's go back to that question. How do you feel confident? How do you live in that space where you don't know what the fuck is going on? Why? How? Who? Where? What the fuck is going on with Morgulons? I find it very predictable and understandable even that people 
want to be certain. And there are many people out there who are dead certain that they know what Morgulons is. Why it's happening. Who did this shit. And where and when we gonna get our financial settlement for it. But the fact is, without facts in accordance with reality, we don't have any truth. And your certainty is actually a delusion. Isn't a lack of humility and curiosity the exact thing that we are having a problem with with the medical and scientific community, y'all? Be the change you want to see. If you want to know what's the deal, the real deal with Morgulons, then the first step in learning is admitting that you don't know. You gotta find a way to live with uncertainty, y'all, because the vast majority of this life and this world is a fucking mystery. How do we get here? Why are we here? Uh, what is gonna happen to me when I die? Where am I gonna go? Who am I? Some of these things just don't have answers. And it's hard to imagine that we could ever find an answer because we don't even know where to fucking look for facts in accordance with reality. There's a lot of diseases that we really don't know shit about. And those are just the diseases that we know are diseases. For example, lupus. Why does it seem to occur in certain geographic locations over other locations? Why does it happen mostly in women? Why does it happen in mostly women of uh, African American or Hispanic descent? Nobody fucking knows. So why in the world would anyone say that they know everything about Morgulons and they are sure they are right? Because, okay, for instance, last night I was looking at a research paper by the Charles E. Holman Foundation. I think it was 2018, but they're describing the filaments and the fibers and all the weird things associated with Morgulons. And when it comes to glitter, this is, by the way, the only mention of glitter in any of the the research literature available about Morgulons. Out of 99 PubMed results about Morgulons research, only one paper from the Charles E. Holman Foundation uh, funded research mentions glitter, and they say it came from greeting cards and makeup. Okay, men don't wear makeup typically, and uh, glittery greeting cards, yeah, I'm just handling those things on the regular, daily. What are you talking about? And then they cite the source of this assertion that glitter has nothing to do with Morgulons, it's a contaminant in the samples, they cite the source as, quote, personal communication and, quote, unpublished data. That, to my knowledge, a phone call and some shit that's unpublished and not reviewed by your peers is not what we call peer-reviewed scientific research. It's just kind of your word against mine. And I can see glitter embedded in my skin under dermatoscopy. I have also seen glitter emerge from intact skin on my hands and on my face. And I have absolutely no doubt of what I am visualizing. I also want to know what kind of greeting cards use hexagon glitter that has hairs growing out of it. I am unaware of a manufacturer that makes hairy glitter. If you know, please write me an email at morewarlons.gmail.com. But I don't think I'm going to get any emails, y'all, because uh, there's no such thing as hairy glitter. There's absolutely no peer-reviewed scientific research about Morgulons as a physical disease, except for that research, which was supported by the Morgulons uh, Research Foundation, Charles E. Holman Foundation, and then that one paper from that Chinese author, Yan, who describes Morgulons disease as being a plant-like illness, which is probably more accurate than uh, its Lyme. 
Um, so to the authors of the 99 articles that result in PubMed when you search the term morgulons, all but half a dozen or so of those state that morgulons is delusional parasitosis and delusional parasitosis is morgulons. So to those brilliant minds, I ask how you integrate the following facts into your assertions that morgs is purely delusional, has no physical cause and that it's a mass psychogenic illness. So why would there be a drastic increase of Morgulon's cases emerging since 2015 when there has been a precipitous decline in media coverage of this disease since 2008 after the conclusion of the CDC study? If it were a mass psychogenic illness, then reports should be declining over time, not increasing. Like I will tell you more about later in uh, this episode, I've been doing my own research. It is just as valid as that performed by CDC, and the sample size is thus far 92 people, and their study was 70 people. So what I have learned is that 78% of people that have Morgulons, out of 92 people, 78% have gotten this since 2015. Does not align with the theory of mass psychogenic illness um, and media coverage uh, causing increases in case reports. It just doesn't work. So also currently based on the research project that I'm doing, um, it's shown that the highest case numbers are so far, uh, number one, California and Florida, number two, Georgia, number three, Washington and Michigan. And um, number four is like a five-way tie between Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, uh, and Oregon, I believe. So interesting. Um, but what I would like to know, because a lot of people suggest that this disease that we have, Morgulons, is caused by methamphetamine or amphetamine use, um, are rates of methamphetamine use aligned with that particular list I just gave you, with California and Florida at the top, then Georgia, then Washington and Michigan, and then um, those other states I just mentioned. So are those Americans more susceptible to delusion than others? Do they have a larger meth problem? It's a statewide foie Um, I don't fucking think so. If you want to know what the top 10 states in the union are for meth use, I can tell you that. They are Michigan, number one, New York, number two, Indiana, number three, number four, Illinois, number five, North Carolina, number six, California, number seven, Pennsylvania, number eight, Tennessee, number nine, Ohio, number 10, Florida. So if number one and two are a tie between California and Florida, and if Morgulons was caused by amphetamine usage, then meth usage, then theoretically the number one state for Morgulons should be Michigan. Michigan is tied with Washington at number four in prevalence of Morgulons case reports. So let's bust that up um, if we can. And uh, so also I would ask them, uh, why does Morgulons occur in clusters of both families and associates who do not cohabitate? Does delusional parasitosis also incur, occur in clusters like this? Considering the rarity of monosymptomatic delusional disorders combined with the rarity of foie adieu phenomena, how probable is it that thousands of Americans suffer from something or two things that are considered exceedingly rare in combination? And I would ask them, have you ever personally examined a patient's skin with a dermatoscope and found no physical evidence of embedded foreign objects and materials, fibers, glitters, specks, have you even looked? Because most of the 99 studies that I reviewed don't. <laughs> they don't even mention it. They don't mention running any laboratory tests whatsoever before they decide that, yep, it's delusional. That's not science. <laughs> Again, 
those who claim the truth bear the burden of proof. Where's the proof? And I've said it before on this show, but I just want to remind you guys of those 99 research papers about mortalized that were published in peer-reviewed journals of varying degrees of credibility um, and respect uh, in the academic scientific community, but there are zero research papers published correlating Borrelia burgdorferi or any form of uh, spirochete bacteria with Morgellons disease. The only evidence for that is the evidence provided by the Charles E. Holman funded research. And the people that are doing the research for the Charles E. Holman Foundation, well, the number one expert, quote unquote, physician is Raphael B. Stricker, who in 1990 was censured by the NIH and the University of San Francisco, where he worked, where he was fired for academic dishonesty and falsifying data about HIV. So he opened up a penis enhancement clinic that failed. He opened up a chronic Lyme business and then the Morgies came along and he said, hmm, how can we get people in here 24 seven around the clock and charge them two to three times what other people charge for any kind of outpatient services? Uh, I think I know. I've got an idea, Ginger. Oh, Ginger, let's come back to her. Censured by the Texas Medical Board for unprofessional prescribing practices, the overprescription of antibiotics without any clinical laboratory evidence to support it. Y'all, go on the Texas Medical Board disciplinary records for nurses and you will find the report yourself. Y'all, she prescribed 90-day refill of ivermectin. Ivermectin is normally taken once a year for parasites. And by the way, if this is Borrelia, why the fuck are you taking an antiparasitic? You don't take antiparasitics for Lyme disease. It doesn't involve parasites. So yeah, just doesn't make sense. Just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. That's all it is. It's not medicine. If there is no controlled clinical double-blinded drug trial with human subjects to determine the safety and efficacy of any given treatment, then you're just guessing. And if you're going to just guess, I'm not going to pay you 500 bucks. And then, of course, there's Marianne Middleveen. And if you go on her LinkedIn and look at her profile, she has no resume. She has absolutely no professional work experience listed except for self-employed. And um, she is not a medical doctor. She is not a Ph.D. doctor. She has a master's degree from Georgia State University. Um, well, she has two master's degrees, one in environmental science from Calgary something in Canada University, and then uh, a microbiology master's degree from Georgia State. So she calls herself a veterinary microbiologist, whatever that fucking means. But my point is, is she doesn't have any experience working with human patients and human pathology. She doesn't even have a doctorate and she has zero work experience, like clinical on the job experience listed on her personal, professional LinkedIn profile. So are these the most qualified people, the most credible people? Tell us what Morgulans is caused by, especially when no one else has replicated their research results. Hmm. There's definitely products out there that will make your morgues come out, but t there's plenty more where that came from. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you know that. And outside the context of like a controlled double-blinded study, you have no way of knowing if your intervention was the cause of any improvement or if it was just that would have improved anyways yeah. over time. So, and I imagine like if it is anything too, like, like it's kind of like, war like it's like, 
But you might do it, maybe working, but like if you don't get every last one of them. And how would you ever know that you ever got every last one of them? We don't even know what all they are. It's like I see new ones all the time. Yeah, the only way is like get on some protocol, like where you you're caught, you have you're saturate your body for so long without overdosing yourself. <laughs> you know, it's really weird. I was reading, uh, I couldn't sleep last night. I didn't fall asleep till like seven. In the morning. I ended up reading and stuff about morgues. And I was like, I was thinking like, um, wait, what were we just talking about? Um, we were talking about, Oh, Oh, like getting rid of them. And then, yeah. Oh like yeah. Not knowing where they were. Saturating the blood with dead worms. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. And I, but one of the things that I keep coming back to that, I know there's something significant about it. I just don't know what, but like in the CDC study, the people that got morgues in the nineties and stuff, like before the 21st century, they almost like definitively unanimously describe fibers and sometimes specks. It is not until the 2000s that people start including like uh, glitter and black goo and fuzzballs and stuff like that, like the hexagons like that, that, was never reported. And I don't know if that's because like, it was so little known that people just like, didn't want to mention the most crazy things. Like maybe somebody will say like, okay, a fiber, all right, maybe it's a biological pathogen, you know, byproduct, you know, but glitter, like, you know, so maybe, but I also feel like at the same time, that doesn't really hold weight because if Mary Lado kind of like connected with these people on a scabies board in 2001 I yeah I think 2002 is when she started the research foundation so we can say maybe 2001 ish like she's starting to her son gets this thing and she's researching it and you know she recognized what they were they recognized what she was describing and she was describing fiber balls and specks so that leads me to believe that it was kind of like those were the symptoms at that time. What's interesting is that you have the emergence of these new Morgulon foreign materials that people start really as a majority reporting, you know, in the 2000s. And recently what I've noticed on this uh, crowdsourcing platform where these Morgulons people are is like... The new people, like, by the way, I've continued to gather data. I've got 92 um, study subjects that I have researched based upon their um, member report that they submitted to Stuff That Works. And I, you know, validated their inclusion in my research by requiring that they describe you know, the presence of fibers and foreign materials in slow or no healing lesions, since that is the chief diagnostic criteria based upon the uh, almost 2,000 reports submitted to stuff that works.health. But anyway, so 92 subjects, keep in mind the CDC survey only had 70 participants. So this is already a larger study, but 78% of people have gotten this since 2015. And then since the pandemic began in 2020, 46% of all patients. Also, the prevalence rates are number one, California and Florida tied, number two, Georgia, number three, a tie between Michigan and uh, Washington state. 45%. That's a pretty large percentage. That's almost. So the timeline doesn't correlate with the idea that this mass, quote, psychogenic illness correlates with media coverage because media coverage has dropped off and all but died since 2008. It should be diminishing the case reports of Morgulons, not increasing precipitously. I am actually surprised that people from the 90s are still 
trying to figure this out. You know what I mean? Like, people have had this, like, 30 years uh, yeah, and shit. You know, I mean, yeah, that's just yeah, wild. Yeah. But, like, um, and a lot of the people that have had it since the 90s, they have had it their whole lives. Like, their family had it. Like, it was their mother had it, their, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, someone in, the, it's it's like a generational thing, perhaps. I don't know if it's hereditary, but it, at least environmental, you know? So, like, the... Familiar. Right, right, right. And so it's like... So that's just a couple of potential, and you may be able to think of some more, but why the data might be skewed towards recent history, you know, especially pandemic. But it's also really interesting to me that during a time of lockdown, um, a lot of people got this. But you know what's even more interesting is like, by far, like I think double any other, you know, uh, year, 2022, like 2022 is like almost fucking 20%. Like people are getting this like this year. <laughs> and the other interesting thing I think I already told you, but like I've got 15 people's month and year, you know, and cause I've just been soliciting people and some people have actually responded and private messaged me. But of the 15, I thought it was really interesting that there were 12 months in the year and only March, July, June, and September have been mentioned. The vast majority, July. Second, second uh, September uh, would be the largest. I'm sorry, no, 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 I'm sorry, March, March. Um, so, you know, it's almost like spring, summer, you know? It's yeah. like June, July, September, March. Those are kind of like... They don't really correlate much with seasonality. They do correlate with the incursion of the Saharan air layer in the United States. Mm, that's fine. You know? Yeah. And that's really the only correlate that I know of. There may be many, but that's the only one I know of. And and also, by the way, the, the places... So, like, how... Oh, oh I gotta tell you... know that they, like, were started then? Because that you had... I, I asked, specific- I, I, po- I posed specifically and I continue, I, whenever I post an update on my research, you know, I, I go off of the member reports that I can view, but I can only view like so many at a time and people often don't put their location or when they got this or, you know, stuff like that. But some people do, you know, they put where they live and I just got this three months ago mm-hmm. and you know, da, 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 da. so, and, and the, the way they describe it fits to me, the diagnostic criteria, which is of course, slow, no healing lesions with foreign materials embedded and exuding from it. And so like, which by the way is the same exact thing that the CDC did for their study. They went into a bunch of, you know, not member reports, but patient mm-hmm. records and just looked for keywords, you know, the exact right. same thing I'm doing It's really self-reporting just, Scribed by a doctor. There's no difference, though, you know. Mm. Um, and so, anyway, so like third would be either Canada because I don't I don't have the information for the necessarily for the states or whatever cities in Canada, but the, Canada there's actually a, at least on this platform there's a high prevalence in Canada, and that would jive with Canada also being my second listener after the United States, you know. But, um, but, and then, but if you want to look at number three from the perspective of just United States, it's a tie between Michigan and Washington. Okay. So that. DC or you mean the state? Washington state. And when you look at a map and you think about the fact that in California, they are getting huge loads of dust, not just from the Saharan desert, 
but from China. The the West Coast, unlike the yeah. East Coast, gets Chinese dust. Yeah, let's see. How does that? I thought the current. Yeah, that might work. It's okay. exactly right. I just I just researched it. So remember, I told you about the the study done by the California Energy Committee that was like backed by Beijing money, and they did a three year study about how Saharan air layer and the Chinese uh, dust from China deserts comes to California and affects droughts and stuff. And that had never been discovered before this study, whatever. So that's kind of interesting. Um, And then when you think about, like, the um, location of uh, uh, fucking, what's it called? Washington State, that's coastal as well. On, on the top of the country, you know. Mm-hmm. And in Michigan, I don't quite understand that part. The other weird thing that is a correlate, because this is all just, you know, speculation, but the other weird thing is that when you look up states' UFO sightings, if you put the u- most sightings by state, like map, like the color map next to a Morgulon's color map, they're like identical. Like all of the states that have like super high numbers of UFO sightings are also all the high morgue cases, which is just fucking weird. I mean, it's probably nothing, but it's just, it just shows how many things could be potentially correlated, which is exciting because once you start getting some good candidates, you have other parameters to test, you know? Yeah. I mean, the Michigan is, I mean, they all have Where is Michigan? Water nearby, I guess. Like that was that was the only thing I could think of was that there was water, but I don't know how that would exactly. So Michigan is the most. It is almost coastal. It's just like fresh water, you know, instead of marine, you know, water. But it is basically it is like almost like a Florida in the middle of the Great Lakes, yeah. like you yeah, know, it's the mitten, right. yeah. So that's interesting. Maybe it's not the air. Maybe it's the water. But then what about? Well, Georgia does have a coastline. But I just don't understand why not all the other states with coastlines. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just because we're so close to Florida. Like, if you put in a virus or something there, it wouldn't get, like, a UV... So, I've been reading a lot about that. And actually, the government did a huge report after conducting this big study on um, whether or not pathogens could be could survive the UV radiation and such Mm -hmm. uh, and traveling in the Saharan air layer. They can. They do. And they identified like six or seven different species of bacteria in addition to viruses. And they, many of them, but not all, were pathogenic. They were pathogenic bacteria, you know, like known to be causes of human health, you know, especially in immunocompromised. Like most people could fight it off, but it's like it would definitely. Well, yeah, but I also, then you put that together with the guy, that unconventional war book. Mm-hmm. They, they say that. You know, if you're going to launch flowers or something to do it either like when it's cloudy or at night or something so you can avoid the, the UV rays, which is... Yeah. What the tick vector is to Lyme disease, you could, if you could harness weather technology and also create this situation like they have where you can lock down your own people inside by force... Because, again, the one problem of bioweapons is always that you're going to kill your own people. You know what I mean? But, like, you have to find a way around that, and you have to do it either genetically or socially engineered and or both. And you got to have, like, 
a cover story of some sort. Like if there's suddenly like, I don't know, 300 billion ticks in America, like out of the blue, we're going to start to like, what? But in the context of like climate change and blah, 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 like it's the perfect vehicle to deliver chemical and biological warfare regarding the Saharan dust. In fact, it's like such, it'd be such an unpopular thing to even suggest like that. There's like, like, it's kind of like, hey, I'm agreeing with you, this man-made. Like, yeah. not the way you're saying so much. But. Yeah, right. So, this is interesting. It specifically mentions the dust has also impacted ecosystems in the southeastern United States. Saharan dust particles from a 2005 dust storm event. That's another really big year in the Morgie world for getting this. Um, were analyzed, and their diameter ranged from 100 nanometers to 50 micrometers. It appeared that most of the particles were coated in sulfates. Chemical properties. The samples of Saharan dust from 2005, the average composition of the dust particles was 64% silicates, 14% sulfates, 6% quartz, 5% high calcium particles, 1% iron-rich, 1% soot, and 9% other carbon-rich particles, carbonaceous material, I guess like leaves and shit. These samples found 17 different elements in the dust particles, which included, but were not limited to, sodium, manganese, aluminum, silicon, iron, cobalt, copper, potassium, and calcium. The dust supplied from the Sahara to the subtropical North Atlantic contains a large amount of iron compared with other sources of dust to the ocean. It also contains aluminum, which is not needed for primary production, but can be used as a marker of the dust source. Dust from this era also supplies phosphorus and silica to surface waters. Dust has been shown to carry sulfur. However, this is not well understood. Microorganisms living on particles can be transported away from their original habitat when dust is picked up and blown away. Sometimes these organisms survive and can grow where the dust has landed, impacting local ecosystems. One example is Mont Blanc in the, Al- in the Alps, for bordering France, Italy, and Switzerland, where snow-colonizing bacteria was found on dust particles. There have been studies where bacteria from Saharan dust cause sickness in corals in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. 